Welcome to Founders Friday, a series that brings you more insight on the founder's journey from their own perspective. On today's episode, we are joined by Christopher Barnard, co-founder, president, and director at Points. Uh, today, we'll be learning more about Christopher's founding journey, and we're going to focus on the entire story and lessons from a 20-year-plus company. Uh, Points is you know, a long history, so we're not going to go to details about every year, but we're going to touch on the story behind the start how the company's evolved, the future of loyalty, and the culture of points.com. Christopher, can I welcome you to the stage, please? Oh, hey, Alex. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming. Uh, Why don't we start by introducing yourself? Tell us a bit about who you are. Sure. Um, Christopher Barnard, I am from Toronto, a Toronto native, born and bred here. Um, done a lot of traveling in my life, uh, partly why in the business that's very closely associated with traveling. But I have to say, not I have very few regrets in life. Um, one minor one, though, is I, I haven't lived uh, for any extent. I think three months, maybe, it was the longest I've lived somewhere outside uh, of Toronto in my travels. So, um, but uh, yeah, there's still time, lots of time to rectify that, I guess. Uh, lots of times. These days. <laughs> and, I, and I feel with your, your understanding of the loyalty world, you might have a lot of points to actually uh, take advantage yeah. of moving around a bit. I gotta say, everyone thinks that there's some secret, um, uh, secret store of points around here. What was it? I think it was was it uh, one of the Supermans where Lex Luthor was siphoning off the third uh, decimal of yes. every transaction and building up his bank account to rule the world. Um, that was not part of the original founding uh, business plan, which now in retrospect probably should have been, but. Um, so we occasionally have some points kicking around. In fact, in the very early days, uh, we did build some kind of bonus points or free points from some of the loyalty partnerships, which I'm sure we'll talk a bit about along the way uh, into our contracts up front. So we got a million points from a bunch of uh, programs as just kind of kicking off our relationship. And in the lean lean years, you mentioned we're, yeah. we've been around, we, were, we started in the year 2000. So we're uh, into 23rd year here. Um, in the very lean years early, we actually paid some bonuses in in freaking flyer miles. So uh, it, it it got us through uh, some of the colder days of the winter, uh, so to speak. Well, I'm sure we'll get into how points are currency, but maybe before we jump into specifics about the company, for people that don't know points, what 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 does your company do? Yeah, so um, we are an e-commerce solution uh, provider. We've built a transaction platform that hooks into the back end of loyalty programs. Think of a loyalty program as just like a bank um, where you have your account. Um, Alex has an account that stores up your freaking flyer hotel points. Uh, our system attaches, integrates into those systems uh, like PayPal integrates to your bank account, or your credit card. And we're able to transact then in your miles and points and provide the loyalty programs, the Aero plans or the United Miles or the Marriott Bond points with uh, new ways for their members to earn or redeem their miles and points. And each earn or redeem transaction comes with enhanced economics for the program, either generates net new money, net new revenue for them at a very high margin actually, um, which is surprising to some people. Um, every time, you know, we get you to buy some more points or earn some more points yeah. with a, with a partner or on the flip side, if, if they're allowing you, uh, for some special reason to redeem your points for something outside their program, um, we can manage that, whether it's a gift card or, or something else, or in, in many cases, potentially to exchange your, 
points A for points B. Um, all that flows through what we call our loyalty commerce platform that allows us to manage and orchestrate, um, settle, and report on uh, all those numerous transactions around the world. We, we deal with a growing number. We're at 60 plus, I think, of some of the largest uh, loyalty programs in the world. Um, and they're all over the world. So we have offices in Toronto. That's where our headquarter is. Um, we have uh, offices in San Francisco, uh, Dubai, London is our largest kind of international office. And we also have an office in Singapore. Um, so we deal with some of the biggest names in, in travel, in the airline and hotel uh, space, and also in the financial services and the banking space, uh, which is a, a big part of loyalty as well. Yeah, well, um, <clears throat> I, I'm sure many of our listeners get emails from one of your partners. I know I get tons from Aeroplan. Um, which I'm sure you've provided insights into what they should be offering me and what they I should be using my points on or using to get points. Yeah, certainly some of those uh, emails would come uh, from us or generated through our relationship with an aeroplan. Um, it's like actually a good uh, highlight, Alex. Um, all of the things we do are white labeled. So while yeah. and you know we'll talk about this in the origin story, we started a bit. Uh, we started as a consumer brand at points.com, um, but we have changed our evolution, um, which no one knew what a pivot was when we did it. But uh, um, in retrospect, our pivot was to much more of a B2B to C um, proposition number of years ago. Um, so all of our services are delivered via the loyalty program channels. You know, if you count up the, the memberships in all of the programs that we have partnerships with, we're, I think, well over a billion membership accounts now represented by the the partnerships that that we have um, uh, aggregated over the wow. years. Um, I wonder how many of those I am. So let's let's go. You mentioned you started off as a consumer business. So let's take us back that original original story when you started. I think from what I read um, at that time, points came out of the idea of of an incubator you're running. You had an incubator yeah. called Exclamation International. So tell us what tell me what Exclamation International was, and that was like in the late '90s. So. Um, yeah, I was a co-founder of Exclamation International in 98, I think it was. Um, it, it, my my memory's getting foggy too, but uh, <laughs> the um, original, and, and that was actually, it was Canada's first incubator, um, and it was before anyone knew what an incubator was. And so it was kind of funny to see the evolution in the early days. No one knew what it was, and then everyone thought they knew what it was. And so at the beginning, everyone said, why are you doing that? And then um, very quickly, people said, well, what's different than all the other ones that are out there? Yeah. Um, actually, our main difference up front was um, we had a pool of money and we decided to start our own companies up as opposed to uh, invest in other people's companies. So that was uh, at the time, you know, valuations uh, seem a little bit uh, quaint now, uh, but they were at a control uh, back then. Uh, yeah. And we thought, hey, we could you know, give Alex a million dollars and own only 10% of his idea, or we could come up with some equally crazy idea and own hundred percent of it for that million dollars. Uh, yeah. And at the time there seemed to be, felt like there was lots of opportunity to do it ourselves. So we started um, four different uh, businesses in, in various industries. I think probably the best part of the model, to be honest, was the realization that we really didn't know what we were doing necessarily in, in any of the individual businesses. So a core part of our model was to find people out of those industries to that weren't maybe, you know, pure 
mortgages their house, take out 25 credit cards to start their own business kind of entrepreneurs, but we're very entrepreneurial. Yeah. And so that's where I met uh, Rob McLean, who's the CEO of Points, and, and we've kind of, the other co-founder, we've sort of grown the business together over the last uh, couple of decades. Um, and he came out of Amer um, Canadian Airlines, uh, and he had run the loyalty program, free flyer program, Canadian Airlines. And some of your listeners won't know uh, yeah. what Canadian I Airlines was, but it, it was <laughs> one of the other Canadian uh, airlines called Canadian Airlines. Um, and they had just uh, been taken over by Aeroplan or Air Canada. So I kind of talked Rob into ditching the airline life and not uh, kind of getting involved in the big uh, corporation and, and coming um, to Toronto to start uh, points with us. And so what was um, the idea behind points at the start with? And, and why did you decide this is the one we're going to double down on? Well, the idea was originally a consumer, what was called back then a portal, um, which again, yeah. half your listeners probably won't know what that means, but uh, it was in the back in the day when Yahoo was developing portals and whatnot, you know, we thought a portal around loyalty currencies, because we saw the trend of them growing, um, was going to be an attractive proposition. And you know, your point on how many of those customer accounts that you own, you know, the average North American is a member of probably over 20 different programs. Wow. And I don't think I own that many. <clears throat> they're active in, in, in more than a dozen. That's kind of a household uh, uh, yeah. number. Um, and they're active in, you know, half a dozen at least. So just the, the notion of having one place to view and manage uh, all of your uh, loyalty programs was, uh, was the, the kernel of the first idea. And then the second part was, hey, if, it would be great if we could figure out a way to allow Alex to somehow exchange his Aeroplan points for American Airlines miles or his Hilton points for uh, Delta miles, um, kind of create a consumer, some kind of liquidity around the miles and points that you don't want as many of and you want more of. Um, that was the original proposition of, of points. Um, you know, one of our earliest best uh decisions uh was we actually tracked down points.com the url and yeah. and got it for five thousand dollars us um and i actually got the guy to throw in points.net for an extra <laughs> 750 so uh we've never used points.net i don't know why but um so that was really the start of it we actually bought the url we started with the url uh it's kind of like printing your business cards first before you do anything else in your business but um, that kind of kicked us off onto the consumer side of the business. So you launched as a consumer business, I guess, Mike, you, you shut down exclamation and you went into points. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, the internet winter, uh, yeah. came and the dot-com bubble burst and we were, I mean, honestly, we were never smart enough to raise too much money, but we were never dumb enough to spend all that we had. So, uh, we had some resources left over when the market, uh, bottom fell out. And again, to your question, that consumer exchange proposition had created enough um, traction with some players in the industry that we had about a dozen partnerships signed up, big loyalty programs like American Airlines, like Aeroplan, like uh, the Alaska Airlines program or Intercontinental Hotel Group. Um, those were all some of our early ones that signed up for that proposition to let their members um, manage and track their points and exchange their currency between. So it was the one of the company, the, the company in our portfolio that had enough traction that we kind of pushed all our chips over to that one. We uh, shut down or jettisoned everything else that we were doing. 
we had taken the the incubator public right away. So we were a public company from day one. And so we just changed the name of the public company from Exclamation International to points.com uh, or points international actually. Um, yeah. And off we were as a public company before we really had any revenue um, in, in points. Yeah. That was, that was a different time. Uh, companies would go public yeah. in four to six months versus 10 to 15 years like now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a bunch of questions about, and maybe I'll start off with, I want to know a bit about the journey of the company that maybe about some of the partnerships you've done along the way. Um, so if I go back to like 2000, and I think about loyalty, like I love the fact that you were like a points exchange place, but you said, you know, you were consumer focused. What just generally, what was the loyalty industry like back then? Because I think if my, my, from an outsider's perspective, I think if you go back 20 years, people realized there was something there, but they didn't ascertain the value to them, those programs that they do now. So what was the loyalty yeah. program like there? And when do you make that pivot from consumer to B2B to C and why? Um, I think the, the loyalty programs were, um, especially the, the airline programs and the, the larger frequent flyer programs to less extent, and they've caught up very quickly. The hotel programs, um, we're starting to kind of get into their develop, you know, their teen years, if you would, in terms of profit centers for the airlines. Um, every time you, if you have a co-branded credit card, you might have an aeroplane credit card yeah. from TD. Um, every time you spend money on that credit card and you earn a, a, an aeroplane point for every dollar you spend, um, that's actually TD buying a mile or a point from, um, from aeroplane, from Air Canada. Uh, and that is a very high margin business. You think of an airline, they're actually yeah. in the business, they're in many different businesses. They're in the business of selling you an airline seat, but they're also in the business of selling you a baggage fee and insurance potentially. And, and one of their largest uh, uh, sub businesses is actually selling people miles. You can kind of think of it actually as selling a mile one twenty-five thousandth at a time um, okay. by selling one mile to TD for whatever it is, a penny and a half or penny and a quarter. Um, and if you collect up 25,000 of those, you can trade them in for a, a, a free seat uh, on the next plane to Hawaii. Um, and so that's been a very uh, strong trend over the last 20 years. Just that notion that they have a collection of the strongest brands in the world. I mean, the aspirational value of travel has only been growing. Um, and the notion that through activity that you might do otherwise anyway, you're going to collect these assets that can eventually get turned into your family vacation in Miami is continue. Like, it's been a very compelling proposition for 30 years since loyalty program, you know, freaking flyer programs yeah. were started in kind of late, late eighties um, and have, have only kept growing. And, and, you know, there's been different versions and then certainly it's gone through a cycle, but it has proven to be much more resilient than the parent companies uh, yeah. that sponsor these programs. I think every single one of our airline partners, uh, certainly in North America have gone bankrupt at least once uh, over our two and a bit year or two and a bit decade uh, history. So, um, but their loyalty programs just kept growing uh, over the time. Yeah. So the, so the loyalty programs were becoming more and more important. You started off as a B2C. Yeah. And then at some point you realized, Hey, where we should be is B2B2C. So what was that, you know, what was that turning yeah, point? Why do you pivot? It's interesting. And, and there's certainly been um, parallels between our last 
two and a half year history uh, experience and our first two and a half year experience. Um, I would like to, and I guess I can, we can say now, cause, cause we've made it that it was all pure strategy and we were really smart. Um, <laughs> of so, course, uh, you can, you can edit out the next part of when I tell you what really happened. Um, nine 11 happened. So, yeah. uh, all of our partner, not all of our partners, but most of our partners in the early days were airlines and, and American, you know, us based, uh, carriers. And when nine 11 happened, um, I think lots of people forget, uh, and people who don't know what a portal was, uh, won't remember 9-11 either, but, uh, for those of us who do, it was, it was just a unbelievably tragic, but also, uh, sudden event that, that was remarkable and how it changed everything, you know, literally overnight. Um, and what happened was planes just stopped flying. Like there were literally no planes in the air. Um, and that means that all of our partners' revenues went to close to zero uh, overnight. And so they opened up that kind of proverbial drawer of ideas they'd ever had to generate money. And one of them kind of down in the mid-teens was, why don't we sell our miles to our members in case they want to buy them directly yeah. from us? And it had never made it up the, up the list because, you know, they could only get to their first two or three every year just because their systems were old and, and cumbersome. And we had just installed this fancy new shiny uh, system on to kind of bolt it onto their uh, freaking flyer uh, uh, platform that allowed us to transact in their miles and points. So they basically said, hey, could you do that for us? And the real, again, which when we write the memoirs eventually will say it was pure strategy and smart of us. But the reality was they just couldn't afford to pay us anything. So we had no choice because we had a bit of money left over. We had no choice but to offer them to build the service and take a commission as our payment along the way. And so in any other time, they would have paid us, you know, probably at the time, I don't know, we probably would have thought it would be awesome if, you know, $250,000 upfront fee uh, and, a, you know, $10,000 uh, a year in maintenance, uh, we probably would have priced it at and we would have been out of business pretty soon after that. Um, but we did end up starting with a commission model and a, and a kind of pay for performance. And, and that developed into a system where we did it for American Airlines first and Alaska Airlines second. And then all of a sudden we were being able to introduce this new revenue stream to all of our partners. And then that grew our, our um, universe or constellation of, of partners that we dealt with uh, quite quickly. I love that story, how it's basically what today we call customer development. Listen to what their needs are and then build what they want. Um, yeah. You know, and, 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 it, and again, to drag it forward, you know, it wasn't, it was pretty dramatic. Um, it wasn't quite to absolute zero, though some, some airlines, unfortunately, went to almost zero over the pandemic in the early days. And it's certainly been way longer yeah. and we're still not out of it yet. But <clears throat> some of that similar... Um, uh, dynamic has been at play and, and, you know, while the travel industry basically down 80 to 90% in the first, you know, 12, 18 months of the pandemic, we were down 50% in helping them drive revenue. I think the only revenue that they had was either, you know, I think cargo was a pretty good, you know, relatively yeah. speaking, good for them. And then selling loyalty points because selling loyalty points is all about future travel. Alex, yeah. you know, some people buy some points to get on a flight tomorrow or next week because they have to. Many people are just acquiring them because they are, you know, 
they remember that program. They know how to use it. They know they're going to get value. I don't know exactly. I don't know if it's going to be Miami or Hawaii, but I'm going to take my family somewhere uh, next year. So I should load up on these points when I can get them at a good price or at a good, <clears throat> at a good promotion. So it's kind of future travel that we're uh, focused on. And that proved to be still pretty robust. Uh, and then as we've seen coming out of the pandemic, travels rebounded travels, you know, the super cycle of travel started. Um, and you know, people are, are being even more aggressive on planning next year's event and, you know, partly helped by everything's booked this year. So you got to plan next year. So might as well get some points to do it. Well, I can imagine lots of people in the middle of COVID needed the dream. And so buying the points got them closer, like, you know, um, I, you know, I have a couple young children love them to bits but being at home with them 24 7 made me want to go to hawaii or something or at least exactly um talking and i I love those bookends but let's talk a bit in between that because like i I think you were talking about strategy in charge of strategy and you you seem to have done several acquisitions and key partnerships like there was a partnership with amadeus so you had a public company and i I think you so you had a tool that most private companies that we talk to on the show don't have they you have a currency you can you know you have access to be, hypothetically, you can go sell shares or you can use your shares to buy stuff. So over the last 20 years, is there any you know strategic inflections from either some partnership you like with Amadeus or acquisitions? Like how do you think about that? And how do you what tools that give you that maybe a traditional software company that's private hasn't had? Yeah, look, I, I think early days, um, being public was helpful in that we did raise some money that we needed uh, to get through things like the the dot-com bust. Um, so that was very helpful. I think um, really after that, though, uh, we ha- kind of made an internal commitment that we were going to control our own destiny. And we were, we've been profitable for a very long time um, and increasingly profitable. So we tried not to uh, specifically as a strategy, not to rely on the access to public funds to kind of control our own destiny, um, which to be honest was sometimes a little bit, you know, I sometimes think from a public markets perspective, the worst decision we made was to, to be profitable, but uh, <laughs> given some of the multiples previously, now yeah. look, when you go through the last six months uh, experience, I wouldn't want to be relying on having to raise money in the public markets to survive. So. Um, it's ebbed and flowed. We've done, gone through many different cycles. Uh, we have made we ha- made three acquisitions over our history. Um, it really kind of consolidated our position in the industry. That being said, Alex, it's kind of one of the great things about points is we are a bit alone in the space that we play in. Um, so we've had a little bit of the luxury of being able to build our business um, without too much competitive distraction in that a lot of our uh, competition is just kind of internal airline or hotel or financial services systems and IT uh, uh, departments that we've always been able to clearly stack up very quickly, very well against the good, fast, cheap, pick all three with us um, is been more of our competitive environment than, you know, there's a a bunch of Pepsi's to our Coke and, and, you know, we're really concerned about the top five or seven and, you know, maybe our acquisition strategies to roll up the the smaller ones. I, we haven't had that dynamic in the, in the loyalty industry. So th- then again, cause instead of going through every year, like we, you know, offline, we said that maybe we should just go through every year. So like, what are the, you know, so one key pivot was, you know, 
going doubling down on points international. Yeah. The next was going B two B to C. We can, you know, COVID had some impact, but in between that, like, what are the key, you know, you know, pivot points or decisions? Like, is it expanding the products? Because I imagine you have a lot more products you offer your partners now than you did in two thousand. I think there's, um, I think I would say there's two things that um, that I would point to as as key to our strategy. Uh, the first is we. And I think we've been very good at it. Some of your, some kind of chunks of that time better than others, obviously. Um, but we've been very good at focusing on our backend platform, and we have continued to invest in that platform. Uh, you know, as I call it, a bit of analogy is the PayPal system that links to other people's yeah. accounts. We don't run anybody's loyalty account, but we can have kind of debit or credit access into your loyalty accounts. But continuing to focus on that kind of backend consolidated operating infrastructure has allowed us to do more things with our partners. If we had to, you know, the other strategy, the complete opposite would be just being a, you know, an IT consulting firm for airlines and say, hey, what do you want? Even if you focus it just on loyalty programs, you can say, hey, what do you want to do on this project? And they tell us something custom and then we'd have to do that. You know, that's a very difficult model, I think, but a, a unified, consolidated, very robust transaction-oriented backend that we've, over the last probably five years, been more and more focused on, you know, some of the buzzwords that we actually, I think I'm quite proud of that we're actually doing things like machine learning and building algorithms in to suggest the right offer to you uh, or the right price that saves our partners uh, uh, money on redemption or generates incremental either revenue or uh, margin for them, depending on what their strategy is for that period of time. Um, we are very good at that. And we can aggregate data from the whole industry that one airline, you know, when yeah. we sell miles for Emirates Airlines in Dubai, it's being informed by transactions we've done and maybe even transactions we've done five years ago with JetBlue or Alaska Airlines or uh, Hilton Hotels even. Um, no one program has access to that kind of robust data set. And I think we've done a really good job of consolidating our investment in the backend systems and data analysis, data science that allows us to create that kind of value. I that's love one that. part. That's, um, know, that's definitely on trend with cloud and access to data as new oil. So that's one part. Yeah. And the second part was, it was, it was probably 10, uh, 12 years more ago um, where uh, that initial, that first pivot to B2B to C was a very systems oriented one. We, as I said, we did a commission deal and we got paid a small commission on the way through. That was a bit more SaaS kind of oriented. It wasn't quite a monthly fee, but it was much more, our loyalty program partners were, was, were using our platform to facilitate those kind of transactions, but they were doing the pricing, they were doing the marketing, they were doing a lot of the front end, uh, not build, but design. And, and so they were responsible for driving the traffic. And it was quite frustrating for us, to be honest, because we saw what partner A was doing. And we said, Oh, God, if partner B just did that, like they would have made more money. And if we were on a direct drive commission, we would have made more money too. So it was in 2008, I believe, um, that we bit the bullet. And it was it was a bit of a leap, for sure. And we went to one of our loyalty program partners and said, hey, if you let us run this and you let us do all those things, pricing, yeah. uh, marketing, strategy, even the copy that we put out there, we will guarantee you revenue. <clears throat> so Interesting. You, you can't do worse than you did last year and we'll guarantee you do a little bit better than you did last year. 
our models would show if we did what we think they should have been doing, they would have been doing quite a bit better. So we thought there was lots of room in that guarantee. And for that, we'll, we'll get a little bit more, we'll squeeze more economics out of it. So we turned ourselves into a buyer of miles as opposed to a technical supplier on the back end. And so I love that. It's a business model. It, it's, it's investing in the technology a, and in the business model innovation. It was a paradigm shift for us. Yeah. Um, and the, the way I like to say it is, you know, as a technology supplier, you show up as a cost in your customer's uh, income statement. And when you're a cost in your customer's income statement, you typically have to deal with, you know, guys named Steve from procurement who call you every <laughs> year and cut you back by 12% um, and smile while they're doing it. Uh, and my apologies to anyone named Steve in procurement. That was just an example. But um, whereas when we are now a, a buyer of miles from United Airlines, like we're the second or third largest buyer of miles from United Airlines. So, you know, we're right there in the same company as Chase Bank, one of the largest yeah. banks in the world. That's a, you know, a major partner of theirs. So we become a revenue line on our uh, partner's uh, income statement, which, you know, you just get invited to different parties. Uh, yeah, it's a different relationship in that position. Yeah. And much more strategic, much more growth oriented. And you're, I mean, quite literally, it sounds a bit cheesy, but you are on the same side of the table um, with your partner versus suppliers are sometimes a little bit more uh, adversarial yeah. just by the nature of that relationship. So, so I love that. That's a, a big investment that's paid off two big investments that have paid off. So yeah, um, it's now 2022, I think, um, sometimes forget. Uh, and you, like you said, there's a travel boom, you're well positioned. And, you know, from what I understand, it, you guys have been acquired. So why, you know, you're, why, why, why get acquired? Yeah, look, I think we're, we were excited to announce a couple of weeks ago that we uh, have been acquired by a company in Montreal called PlusGrade. So we're joining forces with another Canadian success story on the technology side. PlusGrade, Ken and, and his team have built a very similar company to points in, in a way from a very top um, kind of high level model and that they supply a very important component um, to multiple airlines that drives incremental revenue. They do the bidding um, for upgrade service for dozens and dozens of airlines around the world. So we have a similar customer base. We don't talk to the same people, uh, same groups in the airlines, but a similar customer base, similar operating model, and we're both in the travel space. So it made a lot of sense uh, to combine the two enterprises. Um, you know, similar cultures too, similar types of people. It's kind of nice, uh, Toronto, Montreal. Uh, yeah. it's a, it's a, a good Canadian Keep story, the country. I think. Yeah. And so, um, so, so that's going through and just before I want to get the bit of your company culture and, you know, learn a bit more what it's like to work at points international, but you know, you've now got a, I guess, a perspective of where an industry is going. What do you see as the big changes or big trends in, in the loyalty space over the next you know, half a decade to decade. Yeah, I think, again, the the pandemic trough, um, some would say chasm, uh, kind of showed the resilience and importance of loyalty um, in, in partly the economics that drives the program. So I don't think they're going to give that up, clearly. I think they're yeah. more, as we see it, they're doubling down on it. So just from a pure business point of view on our side, um, we see actually more opportunity now uh, than we did in 2019. 
um, we've had a fuller pipeline, more interesting things to work on um, because these loyalty programs around the world are realizing I, I need some of that because, you know, we're still getting out of the, uh, the pandemic and it's clearly an important piece of the business. I think if it wasn't viable from a consumer point of view, that wouldn't be the, the case. Um, uh, you know, we've talked about Aeroplan a couple of times. We launched a new service with Aeroplan in the depths, I think it was in May of 2020. Like it was almost at the bottom of the trough. And we had one of our best, I think it was our best day ever, like in company history in yeah. terms of transaction volume on that day. So it's a, you know, these travel-based loyalty programs, the, the, the aspirational value of them and the uh, amount that they've been able to, the level that they've been able to engage their members. Um, it's a bit easier to write in, you know, the popular press about people, yeah. you know, they don't like their programs, they can never get anything, blah, blah, blah. I, I think the reality is that just doesn't prove out in the world. Uh, when you look at the growth of programs, the rate at which these programs are adding new members, the rate at which current members are earning and, and using their points. Um, sure, it's kind of frustrating. You can't get that flight to Miami on Friday at seven o'clock um, all the time, uh, but you can certainly get it on Tuesday morning whenever you want, likely. Or, or So people are getting the value out of their program when they want to. Um, and if, if they weren't, these programs would be shrinking every year, not growing, uh, in some cases, double digits every year. So I just think that'll continue. Um, yeah, I tend to agree with you. I seem like as I get older, I use more, my points a bit more. Um, let's talk about, a, let's change a bit here. And I'd like to know about, about the culture. What's it like to work at points? Well, I obviously very biased, but I think it's a <laughs> great place to work. Um, we do, you know, we're quite proud of, of the uh, awards we win quite regularly on great places to work. And we've been pretty consistent uh, um, on that, uh, on those lists. And, and actually this year we've, we were higher than we've ever been. Um, I think- Congratulations. Uh, thanks. I think one thing is, you know, when you're in the travel, you know, oriented space, you attract a certain type of person, which has been fantastic. And, and we see the, the, same kind of type when new when new folks join points we have we have town halls regularly um and introduce new people uh and one of the introductions to that person is obviously who they are and what they're going to do in the in the company um but they all answer the either where was your best trip or where is your you know uh bucket list uh trip and it's it's always a passionate piece of the the introduction right so um, you get a, a fantastic collection of people with at least a bit of a baseline commonality in their excitement of the world and, and how it works. Um, and I think that's a good start. I think, you know, one of the things that wins us the awards is just how involved people are in, in the life of points um, beyond whatever their day-to-day -day job is, um, whether it's, I mean, we're very well known for our social, the social side, uh, and, and that extends to our, our partnership group, uh, pretty legendary uh, uh, partner conference uh, most years uh, that people in the industry keep uh, reminding us that we haven't had it for a couple of years. So when is it getting back on the calendar? But that kind of filters into the company as well. Um, I think there's a, you know, we've done a very uh concerted and and led by groups in the company on the di on the diversity inclusion um and equity uh piece uh very proud of of the progress we've made there we've we've done i think an amazing job across the board in terms of um 
uh, spots for, you know, every aspect, whether it's gender or uh, any other uh, aspect on the DEI scale. Um, <clears throat> so I think that, that the fact that that's a ground, uh, a grassroots effort from the ground up uh, led by employees um, versus, you know, uh, a, a pamphlet uh, uh, forced down, uh, I think is an important piece of the puzzle uh, for, for us, for sure. Um, but I think it's really just the diversity of people that we've been able to bring in. Um, and the fact that it's a pretty exciting industry as well. I mean, there's not that many companies that get to deal with brands all over the world. Um, and, you know, kind of, as we talked about, not working on, you know, boring stuff. Uh, there's pretty good, whether it's on the marketing side or the technology side, um, it's, it's pretty, I, I wouldn't say we're bleeding edge. I mean, we're not trying to invent the loyalty program quantum computer around here, but um, it's pretty topical. Uh, and we make sure that people have opportunity to continue to, to grow professionally uh, as a core focus as well. I, I love that. So if someone wants to find out about opportunities to work at points, where's the best way to place to find it? Yeah, I think um, our website on the employment side uh, uh, would be the best place to start. Um, Christopher, you've answered all my questions. I really appreciate it. This is exciting, you know, history here, 20 plus years. Um, hopefully, you know, it looks like an acquisition is going to just make you stronger. Um, thank you so much for your time. I really yeah, appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Great yeah. conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks. And if you and if you like listening to this podcast or watching this YouTube, sign up for the, our newsletter at techtio.org backslash newsletter to be informed of new releases and um, upcoming podcasts all or you can subscribe to us at apple or spotify um thank you all for joining us this friday and we look forward to uh seeing you in our uh, slack channels great have a good weekend thanks